Mike Hurley's here, who's a podcast I was just listening to before we started. You have a lot of my favorite podcasts, Mike, so I'm really glad you could come back on the show. Thank you. There must be something disorientating about listening <laughs> to me on a show and then me just coming in. Yeah, well... You know, I've had this before when I've been on the podcast of people whose shows that I listen to, and then you end up just listening to them talk and forgetting that you're a part of the conversation. Well, or that feeling of, wait, did I, did we just talk about this, or was he just talking about this to a totally unrelated person, and it could have been recorded a oh, week ago? I mean, uh, <laughs> that's just the thing with podcasting in general, right? Like, it's this, we're going on a tangent already, podcasting <laughs> creates a relationship which is very peculiar asymmetric like, yeah where you feel like you know the person that you're listening to not just that you listen to them not just that you enjoy their content like you feel like you actually really know them i get that as well as people get it about me i think relative to other forms of media you i think you do get to know the people better than other places which is part of what i like so when I hear an opinion from a podcaster, I have so much more context of mm -hmm. why do they why do they hate this one computer? Oh, it's because yep. they don't do this kind of content or because they've had this bad experience. And there becomes this real extra relationship, but yeah, in, in one direction. So Which now, is uh, very valuable, right? Like it's and I think it's the same with uh, with YouTubers as well. I think there's a similar thing. I actually think that the the attachment is stronger in podcasting than in YouTube, but they're similar. Um, my my pet theory for this is, you know, podcasts are typically conversations, mm -hmm. right? And in our everyday life, we're only really party to a conversation when we are a part of that conversation, right? Like you only ever sit and listen to an entire conversation between two people over an hour if you are kind of allowed to. Right, if you were invited. Yeah, yeah. and I think that there is a... a there's just something going on in our brains where it's like we feel like we've still been invited to that conversation, so it allows us to build this bond. This is based on literally no science. <laughs> it's just my own opinion of so why these these bonds form between podcast hosts and their listeners, which we're all very lucky to have. Well, if there's an expert in the field, you're it. I mean, you have uh, how many podcasts do you have at the moment? Do you do you even know? Oh, don't ask me that question. I don't. Know. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I, they're, they're not all weekly, right? Like, there's there's something I don't know. I'm, I'm a part of probably like ten like well, 10 maybe nine or 10 regularly published shows but there are only like three or four of those that are weekly some are every two weeks some are every month and some are just very random so you know i have been in my career a part of more weekly shows than this like a lot of the shows that i'm doing right now on a less than weekly basis were weekly at one point and i've just scaled those back over time well and i'll assume that at least one person listening doesn't listen to them and uh, if not you should go listen to well connected upgrade cortex and many other shows yeah they would probably be the ones that would be the the strongest um crossover with with someone podcast listeners what, one more thing i'd add about that podcast connection is that i i would also say that people that listen to me here versus watch me on youtube definitely do know me better um, because mm -hmm. when I'm recording a YouTube video, by the end of it, I'm like, I f sometimes I feel like a bit of a robot. I'm like, I just said that line 10 times <laughs> I and I flubbed it. They're inherently more polished. Exactly. And so it's so much, it is a reflection of what I'm like, but it's not me being real. Whereas this, this has to be, I mean, it's part of why I like having guests on the show and not just talking to myself is because I'm not performing for an audience. We, it's you and I that are having Mm -hmm. the real conversation in the moment so there's no well there could be double takes but typically 
it's, you know, we got to, we're trying to entertain each other and hopefully that translates for somebody else out there. I feel very entertained. Well, I wanted to question you about some comments you've made on some recent podcasts that have left me feeling very confused about my uh, daily operations and wondering if I'm a mad person in a sane world or um, it was reminding me of uh, yeah, other podcast conversations with uh, Marlon Mann and John Saracusa but like okay. is there one weird thing you do that you don't realize is really strange you guys said you almost never walk around with one Air- uh, AirPod or EarPod or headphone in your ear correct and I live my life that way I used to <laughs> when they were wired because you could just let one go right but now if you want to take out one AirPod it's got to go somewhere so in what circumstances are you, are you living your life with just one? All of them. It is extremely rare that I have both in. I think the only time I can guarantee I'll have two AirPods in is on an airplane. That's wild. Especially, I mean, now that they're noise canceling. But- I might start putting in some, like, secrets in the stereo mix so you don't <laughs> get all the show. <laughs> you won't know which side I'm on. Right, yeah, but I'll, I'll, like, have to listen to it twice to put piece it all together. Uh-huh. I like that idea. Oh, no, but it mono mixes. I, I have oh, that Oh, you do the mono mix thing? Yeah, yeah. Ah, darn it. Yeah, I mean, I just leave one in the case, but it also means that I'm used to AirPods having double battery life because I'm not pulling on two batteries at once. Mm, I understand that point, but I don't think that it particularly applies because they charge so quickly. And I have found if that when I'm using both, the battery drains at different rates. So I noticed this on when I'm using, when I'm on a plane or whatever. So you get the little like do 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 right, like the battery's running low, and I'll check the battery meter. Maybe like the left has fifteen percent and the right has five percent. So I just pop the right out, pop it in the case for a few minutes or whatever, give it a boost, and then swap it over, and then go back to both. I, d- I do know the technique, but when you're just walking around in a city, you are just you have both in, and then if oh, you're gonna I'm locked in, baby, deal with anybody, you pull it all the way out. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. All right. All the way. I mean, it's not, it's not, <laughs> well, okay. So it's not snaking in. I there. always have this sort of gradient of like, how polite do I want to be to the world? Where I have the oh, one in. Oh, this is the Canadian AirPod problem. Isn't yeah. It? So I always, That's I can always hear if somebody you know calls my name from a distance, or if something happens, or my you know phone is in a jacket pocket and it dings instead of uh, buzzes, or there's always a million reasons that I need to hear better than even transparency mode can offer. Like I really need to actually hear the world. And so the amount of time I can spend isolated into two headphones is just when I'm working at a computer. Again, that, on an airplane, it's because I'm working at a computer. Like all these times are, if I'm focused and there's, I know nothing's going to come distract me, then I'll put two headphones on. But I don't know. I do not have an issue with this method. I just never do it. Like if I'm listening to something, I want to listen to it. With both ears. That's just how, how I'm made. Actually, here's how far I went is that my AirPods one, I had about three or four months where I'd lost one and I just lived with it and just wore the one that I had. Now you see that and you'll live in bliss. That's yeah. bliss that you're living in right there. And pro tip, if you're using not the AirPods Pro, but typical AirPods, you can wear it in the wrong ear. You just have to flip it upside down and look like a, a bit of a fool. But <laughs> but I've uh, do I've definitely do done that. it when <laughs> I just need to switch sides. <laughs> Why did you have to not switch sides? in public? Nobody. Has Why seen would this. you have to switch sides? Um, if, if I need to give my ear break, actually, typically it's just like, oh, it's been in my right ear for two hours. <laughs> well, okay, so here's maybe the, the the more important question on a daily average basis, 
right? How much of your time is spent with at least one AirPod in your ear? That is, a, I would like Overcast to tell me that, um, but I'd say probably four hours every day. I th- I think so. Yeah, that's quite a lot because it's all of the time that whenever I'm editing photos because there's nothing to listen to Hmm. that whole time i'm always non-stop listening i wished i had a part of my career that was conducive to listening to podcasts i don't have that anymore because yeah the the biggest chunk of time (laughs) that i spend on a singular thing is editing and i can't listen to podcasts while i edit podcasts yeah i often resent editing video for exactly that reason i'm like Mm -hmm. i'm not as entertained by myself flubbing this line 15 times as I could be by, I don't know, Mike telling me he wears two AirPods. When I had a more regular job, I could could make that work. Yeah, I mean, everybody's in very different job situations. And it's funny, I mean, I always Mm -hmm. assume people can listen to as many podcasts as I can, but I I know they can't. I have another question for you. Podcasts in the shower, yes or no? Uh, Yeah, for sure it has happened. It's not an always thing, but Mm, yeah. If I'm like really in the middle of it, I'll just stick. I got... A shelf that is outside of the shower, but very close to the shower. So it's oh, cool. I bring the phone in. Oh, the shower. I, I'm waterproof. I mean, know? I have, but I've also ruined a phone, uh, a recent phone. So the iPhone XS uh, took a bath, and that's how it was destroyed. So wow. the wa- yeah, see, I have, I, I have Apple Care. I figure I can take a <laughs> take a loss on the one. Take a chance, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess I already I already spent my one, so now I don't want to spend another. And my two, because yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know if you. Saw recently, but my uh, my iPhone was stolen. So I did see that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a shame. That was a real shame, especially at and because I know you were at Deus uh, de los Muertos, right? Yes, and that's like the perfect place to I put know. the camera for its paces. I'm just rubbing salt into this. Wood exactly. Now, I had some great photos that are not coming back, but fortunately, oh. I mean, my wife had her phone too, so we had, and I had my the full size camera. So I actually have a lot of photos from that day on other things. But, you know, I was going to post Instagram stories. They'll never see the light of day. This episode is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. This is a software that I've been using for a long time on my Mac, on, on all of my Macs, to be honest. And it does some very essential and straightforward tasks where it basically goes through your computer, sifts through your whole hard drive, and finds big extra files that you may not need. That's very useful if you're looking for some extra hard drive space. But it does more than that. It also will find apps that you may not have used for a while and very cleanly uninstall them. Find all those little preferences that are hiding in corners that you don't know about. Remove all of it all away. But what I really appreciated it for lately is it also has anti-malware services. So it's, it's not exactly like an antivirus. It's not that it's running all the time. It's that it can do these sweeps through the background and check against malware catalogs and find anything you need. And I appreciated it because it found something on my MacBook Pro. You may have seen this in the video that I posted. It was just this little bot that uh, potentially could run in the background I, based on my reading, I'm hopeful that it never was actually active, but it's able to create a backdoor into my computer. And that really freaked me out. And I was very glad that Clean My Mac found it. And it makes me feel like I should be running Clean My Mac even more often. And if you want to keep an eye on what it's actually doing, make sure that it's not removing files that you need and didn't mean to delete. You can review it as you are going through it. You can see everything that it's doing. It's completely transparent. And honestly, often a lot of the stuff, like those big files can be, say, alternate language files that you're not using. In my case, a lot of it was gigabytes of cache. So things I'm not going to use in the future, it was things being generated by iTunes or photos. But with just a few clicks, you can free up your hard drive and speed up your computer. 
as well as keep it safe by removing those potentially harmful little bits of software that are hiding. You never know about them. Clean My Mac X has a free trial, so you can go check it out now. The link is in the show notes. To find out more about Clean My Mac X, to know if it's right for you, go to macpaw.com slash stallman. That's M-A-C-P-A-W dot com slash S-T-A-L-M-A-N. Or enter coupon code Stallman at checkout, and you can get 20% off. So thanks again to Clean My Mac X for supporting the show. I have a question for you, actually, about uh, a photo that you posted, both you and your wife, Anya, posted recently, mm-hmm. which was, I believe, of her in, like, this cavern. Oh, yes. Yeah, we posted different and, versions of it. Yes, but you said it was stitched together, and I'm, I want to know what that means, because I don't feel like I understand what, what you mean by that. I think that's a really interesting thing to talk about. So uh, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes to my Instagram photo where you can just go it to the is, page. One of the most incredible photos I've ever seen from you. It is oh, stunning. I'm glad it survived. That was one that uh, was backed up, which, by the way, I don't understand why iCloud doesn't just back up every time you connect to Wi-Fi, because I was at least a week behind backup when the phone got stolen. Oh, that sucks. Like, why? I, I don't really know why. I was on Wi-Fi in between. It just wasn't kicking in. I'm, I'm... I think... For photos, can you have them back up with a cellular? I don't know. I haven't tried. Yes, you can. I don't do the photo streams or what do you call it? The iCloud backup, like where it sucks the photo library. Yeah, because I've had too many issues of like I can't. You know, I'm on a plane. I can't access the photo I want to edit to be able to post later. Oh, you see, I do that, but I have everything download to the phone. So you can set it up to say download and keep originals. So it has everything i have like 80 gigabytes photos icloud and do icloud photos i recommend this because you can then turn on which i do i have mobile data turned on so it will uh sync my photos over Mm. uh, lte okay i'm gonna look into that because yeah it really sucked to to lose all that that Um, that is the reason that i have mine set that way which is like if I ever did lose my phone, then I wouldn't lose any pictures that I've taken, mm-hmm. right? Because I agree with you. Sometimes, like uh, my iCloud backup thing, it's like I plug my phone in every night. Why is it not backed up for like a week? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, no, it's it's confused me. It's also made me think I need to find more live backup stuff. Like I've been relying on drives a lot because I have actually wait. Okay, uh, let's come back to this. I have some mm-hmm. uh, backup stuff in my notes for later. So first, let's okay. talk about this stitched panorama. The the photo, I, I think it just kind of looks like an ultra-wide photo at a glance, right? Like, if you just look at that, you're like, oh, that looks... Is, yeah. is that what you would assume? Yeah, but there's something ultra-realistic about it. Like, there's something not normal, so what, which is one of the things I like about it. It's not crazy over-processed by me. Um, it is like, if you look at it, it has an art HDR feel. Uh, yeah. If you were to see this in real life, or especially if you were to see what it looked like on the 5D, so on a full-on DSLR, the, what you'd see on the SLR is pure black on the sides and just light in the center. Okay. Just like a circle of light where she is. Everything to the sides completely disappears into blackness. And you would have to do like multiple exposures. This really was a photo that was possible because of how the iPhone does HDR. Otherwise, you would have been shooting manual HDR and instead of whatever this was, nine photos I think I, I combined, it would have been nine times three, and nine times two. Would I be right in thinking that Anya would have to be standing very still for a little bit of time? So 
it helps, but okay. typically if there's a person, I try to keep that to one exposure. With a big camera, you're going to screw it up. There'll be some ghosting. The person won't stand still enough. They'll blink, whatever. And that's a huge advantage to the way that the iPhone does HDR is it deals with all of that for you. I very rarely find artifacts in the HDR from an iPhone. And you, I mean, we all just shoot people all day long and it just turns Even out with the HDR night works. Mode. Yeah. Because sometimes someone clear. will walk past and it's like, I don't understand why this person's not in the shot. Sometimes it happens, but sometimes you get it and it's like it's doing its exposure and somehow it hasn't got the movement in it that I was expecting, yeah. which I think is really cool. The way they explained night mode to me made it sound like I really think a lot of the focus, they're more focused on the sharpness than on it being a long exposure. So right. I, I think it takes a frame that is like, this is our reference point for sharpness and where everybody is in the frame. And then most of that long exposure is noise reduction. Right, okay. I, I think it's like sucking the noise out of everywhere that it can, but it uses that master frame to be like, okay, here's everybody in focus. This is where they should be. And if they move around too much, it will start to get confused, but it tries to keep it looking like it was a fast exposure, not a long exposure. Mm -hmm. So often it'll be sharper than... Again, sharper than my big camera possibly could be on the same long exposure. It's it's more and more amazing all the time. There's also stuff that so I haven't been able to publish my iPhone 11 photographer review, which is I mean it, traditionally that's my biggest video, and it just it couldn't be finished yet this year. I recorded about half of it, and time wise, I just have not been able to complete it. So it's probably going to be a you know first six months with the iPhone video mm -hmm. and just come out late. One thing that I had some interesting footage of, though, is when it's doing long exposures with something very bright. So my example was that there is a house at night, and all the lights are on in the house, but the sky has stars in it. I could do a you know 30-second ultra-long exposure, and I can see it basically cutting out the house, and it'll expose the house within the first half second. Right? It's like it starts pulling in light, pulls some light. And it's like, okay, I got enough for the house. Let's freeze that part of the frame, keep it sharp, and continue to expose the darkest wow. parts of the frame while it's locked in that bright part. And you can see okay. it happening in really extreme examples. Again, I, the best example is like go out on a dark night, go outside with one bright source, and you'll see that source kind of be separated from the rest of the background. And no big camera can do that. It, you know, go spend $10,000 on a Canon 1DX. It's not going to do anything like that. Um, because it's just, it hasn't got the software, it hasn't got the processing. Exactly, yeah. Because so, right. it's, it's relying on as what it should be relying on, which is the hardware, the glass, right? But, yeah, exactly. But that, that's just the difference between these two technologies. They try to raw power it, but with that you can't detect the different brightness levels or anything, they're leaving it all up to you when you download the photo to your computer and go to Lightroom yep. and you, they're hoping you'll mask it out or whatever. But the computer and its object detection just does a better job <laughs> and is much faster than I can do manually. It's, yeah, it is miles ahead of, of where the big cameras are. So the elements that I, I used in that for this photo are, are basically it's just nine night mode photos. That's, that's it, uh, stitched together in a traditional panorama that you do before there was panorama mode. There used to be an app that I loved on the phone where you would 
start by just taking a photo and then you would kind of continue to see that photo floating in space yeah. and you could move it and start lining up your stitches so that they all matched and you could tell that they were going to line up and then it would stitch them all together into a panorama. That app seems to have gone away because of Apple's panorama app, I think killed all the third party ones. But that f- method is still really useful because the panorama default app does it reduces the quality. Like it's using, I think, the video camera mode. I don't think it's yeah. the full still camera. It can't do night and mode. And it's just side to side, right? Like you yeah. can't, can't do what you've done here, which is a... Or up and down. I assume it's like a, in multiple directions kind of Yeah, thing. exactly. It's like three on the bottom, three in the middle, three on top. And you need to go extra wide with those, right? So they need to cover way more space than you'll end up using because you're going to end up cropping yep. a ton of stuff out. Um, so that's why even this only looks like it looks like you sort of could fit this within maybe half the amount of exposures, but it's because so much has to get cropped off the sides to make it it work. Um, and yeah, so the the hyperrealism is mostly night mode and smart HDR, and it's just a wider photo than you would see. And taking this photo in using the ultra wide lens does not look like this at all. It's super noisy. It's yeah. kind of garbage. You you can't shoot low-light photos like this. And this is a really dark photo. I mean, it looks like this is sort of well-lit, but these exposures are like two seconds long, which is wow. very, very dark. So what, what software did you use to stitch the images together to create the... I used Lightroom in the end because the okay. edge can find any good apps anymore. Okay. Does it, does it do it on its own? Like if you feed it the photos, oh, yeah. it, does it work it, it out? It does a great really? job. Yeah, the, hmm. the demo in the... MacBook Pro video uh, on YouTube that I just posted that yep. is demonstrating that method of doing an HDR panorama. So it's even smarter. Like for that example, which I don't think I showed the final example in the video because it wasn't a great photo, but I just stood in place, hold down the shutter on bracket mode with my camera, and it goes click, 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 takes three bracketed exposures of, you know, bright, medium, and dark, and then mm-hmm. move it a little bit. And same method of shoot nine of those that all overlap enough. And then in Lightroom, I can just select them all, say create HDR panorama, and it stitches everything together, which is very impressive. It used to be way more of a pain. You'd have to get third-party software, but it very easily manages all of those files. So that's 18 photos in the example on, in the video, which is pretty pretty heavy and they're all raw as well so uh you can you can go pretty far with this hmm. and that's even handheld so i'm not on a tripod wow. i'm not really thinking about it it just it i mean all the credits to the software like it's not because i'm yeah. hand well, holding it so well but i wouldn't say all of it but like this software has, has helped you significantly yeah yeah i mean it definitely makes it turn out better you used to buy a like an offset bracket for panoramas well you still would if you're doing this professionally and the thing is, if you just put a camera on a tripod, as you rotate it, the the axis of where it's looking is not adjusting appropriately to line. Like, I mean, I can't explain this well. I don't. I don't do it professionally. Uh, but the math doesn't line up, so things aren't where they should be in the next stitched photo. So when you're doing this for a living, you actually have an extra mount on top of your tripod where for each turn you also move the camera a certain amount of degrees so that the lens lines up perfectly but uh, we don't need that with iphones which is lucky for me this episode is brought to you by Enphoto. 
any photographers out there who print your work, or especially if you don't print your work, now is the time to start because Enphoto can do an amazing job of creating very high-quality professional prints and then package them into beautiful books or boxes or any sort of media that will look fantastic to your client. So I think probably the best use case for this, I mean, there's many different things you could do with it. The best is if you're a wedding photographer. This is like a no-brainer. You just put together all of the best photos from the wedding, arrange them into a beautiful book and print them and send them to your client. And I mean, don't tell your client this, but you can charge them a little bit extra for that work that you did assembling the book, but the price will still be very reasonable so that they are, your client's not paying too much and neither are you. Enphoto is a high quality print lab with great prices. They create prints that are so much more than just pieces of paper stuffed into an envelope that you'd get from, you know, the mall. They offer high quality professional photo albums, photo books, and folio boxes handcrafted in the heart of Europe. I tested them out with some of our travel photos and they turned out really great. They are sitting beside me in the studio right now. And it also comes with a little USB key so that your client or whoever you're sending the photos of has an additional digital copy. The services are available worldwide and they have dedicated customer support. They also created a very special offer for anybody listening to this show right now. You can just go to info.nphoto.com slash Stallman. That's N photos in Nikon. Uh, it doesn't stand for that. It's just the letter N. And you'll see a landing page that they made with our photography. And you'll also get an amazing discount of either 75% off one complete album or 60% off a folio book. Those are some very deep discounts. And it's a great way to just test out the service, see if it's right for you, and get some high-quality prints of your own. So again, click that link in the show notes. And thanks again to Enphoto for supporting the show. It's just been such a good year, and we're kind of coming to the close of it. And I just want to, to look at it for a second and, and realize how much 2019 has been the year of the pro. Obviously, we can just say everything that had pro in the title, which, yep. you know, we've got the MacBook Pro that we've been asking for in so many ways. We've we got AirPods Pro. I don't know if they quite count, but they're, uh, I will be using them in a professional context. That's my new way of editing on airplanes. We have a Mac Pro coming up any day now. And wait, what else happened? And the first time they've named the the phone pro and for some kind of justifiable reasons, it reminded me that I actually tweeted in the early summer or spring about here's my wish list of what an iPhone pro would look like. And what I, I wasn't thinking about that in any realistic terms or that they would call it pro. I was like, wouldn't it be nice if they made an iPhone for professionals where they just went completely all out? A lot of what it means to me to be professional hardware is that there are less constraints about what is viable for a mass market. It's like, look, we can make this more expensive. We can make this harder to produce. We can just, you know pull out all the stops and make this an amazing device for the people that are going to be the most demanding of it. And a lot of the things of that little wish list I tweeted came true, even though it was just the new top of the line iPhone. It wasn't even priced above anything else or a specialty. It, it was just, it was just there because they really moved forward in some great ways. I don't I mean, I've, I've been saying this every episode since it came out, but I've just been really grateful for my iPhone. I am a big fan of the, uh, the iPhone 11 Pro more than I thought I would be when they announced it. I still think that there are some missing features. I think that uh, a higher refresh rate on the display yeah, that's is the that's one. top for yeah, me. Yeah. Um, and I and I was genuinely disappointed that they hadn't done anything with that because for Apple, 
variable refresh rate displays have existed for like two or three years at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, they've, they have promotion in the iPad Pro for a while. And I know it's, I'm sure, much trickier to do an iPhone scale. But I really, you know, I, I, I would be, if they don't manage to do that in the 2020 iPhone, then, then I will be seriously raising my eyebrow at it. Well, this time it was kind of just like, oh, that's a bummer. But like, I will be like very, very seriously disappointed if it's not in the next one. Just because, you know, the market is moving around them. You know, like the Android market is is making this like a key thing right now. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is a checklist item at the moment on Android phones, like waterproofing, basically. Right? It's just like, well, of course you have a variable refresh rate display. Do you remember if the Pro XDR has variable refresh? I actually don't. I don't think it does, but I just realized I don't know that for sure. I have no idea. I mean, does anyone really truly know anything about yeah no, <laughs> about I guess. Pro Display XDR? But I at this bet point? it doesn't. But what, it was just so crazy to see the changeable refresh rates in the new MacBook Pro as well, where you can set it to yeah forty eight or nice, whatever. Really interesting. So the technical specifications page has the same refresh rate options uh, for the Pro Display XDR as the MacBook Pro has, okay. so like forty seven point nine five, fifty nine point nine four. Right. So I I expect they are user adjustable yeah. rather than software variable. Yeah. Uh, Cause I expect that made it to the MacBook pro because they worked out how to do it on, with the pro display XDR would be my expectation. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, I'm sure that's why it's coming is because it's, it's for that. It would just be nice for it to be able to be cranked up all the way. Cause it was implemented so well in the iPad. The, the fact that it understands which parts of the frame mm-hmm. need it. And I mean, I want to see it most in the interface actually, even more than in my content. I mean, I'm not watching hundred 20 frames per second content. I mean, I also don't game that much, which I realize is the other big thing. But even just scrolling, moving things around, it just feels better. For me, it's all interface stuff. It just makes the machine feel nicer and faster and more responsive. It's just it's just a good feeling thing. But I will agree with you that um, I think Apple have done a very good job in 2019 of recommitting themselves to the market that they were basically starting to leave behind. Yeah. And they have taken that mantle and have now made it a consumer thing too, which I think is a a really clever way to do this, right? Like put the time, the effort, the research, the money into working out products for professionals, but also make those professional products desirable to the consumer market, therefore justifying the amount of cost that you put into it, right? Because you were able to sell them to more people. And I think that, that, you know, we are not including the Mac Pro in this argument, um, the Mac Pro is like is a true like professional yeah. Halo product, yeah. right? Like like Apple of old, but the iPhone especially, right? Like what they have done to that product is make it you know the the professional really mostly in my opinion extends to the camera. Like that's the the level at which they have gone to is to really beef up a lot of the camera stuff and you know put more battery in it. But that affects everybody. These things affect everybody, but. They have made it, these advancements in such a way that it is a great product for professionals, especially photographers, right? Like and, and videographers, like this is what they would want out of a device like this that they could have in their pocket all the time. But they've pushed it in the areas that also the discerning iPhone owner or iPhone buyer can be like, I might want this one, you know. Yeah. Where if they, I'm sure there are some other things they could have put into this device to make it professional that some people that the average buyer would be like, I just don't, I don't care. But I think they made the right yeah. choice. I'm I'm so happy with the balance that they struck. Even things yeah. like the pro display that's going to cost an arm and the leg. I do think it's at a 
it's at a very interesting price point. If there's a mistake to be made, it's that they don't have a $1,200 display. But even that ultra high end is what the ultra high end wants. And same with the Mac Pro. I mean, I, let's talk about the MacBook Pro next. But after testing it, so I had a review unit, so I don't have one yet. I am still just speaking from, you know, living with it for a little over a week. But I'm still not 100% sure that's where I want all my money to go because I just, I want, I want a Mac Pro. I really do. Mm. I don't think I can make sense of that because I, I travel. Just, I'm but, surprised that you would say that because of how much professional work you do on the road. I know the Mac Pro has wheels on it, but like, you know. <laughs> yeah, it could be a little wagon that I just pull behind me, tie a rope to it. You have to get a second airplane seat for it every single I'll time. Find but I mean, worth it. Marquez travels with his iMac Pro. I know he does that, but I almost don't believe it. Yeah. I Right? I wonder if he will continue to based on some of the benchmarks we've been seeing coming out with the new MacBook Pro. Which So let's get into it a little bit, the, the new 16-inch. I loved your review. Oh, thank um, you. Of, uh, one of the things that I really loved about your review, it is the only review. I don't even know. I don't know if this was purposeful. I'm expecting it probably wasn't. Literally the only review that I have consumed that did not mention the keyboard once. You <laughs> didn't mention the keyboard at all. Was that purposeful? I think I, I cut out a moment where I just referred to it. Um, but I, yeah, I, it, it was. I think it's that I'd been watching reviews, when, especially when you come out late. Uh, I didn't have it on day one. I had it. You uh, have to have a unique take. Exactly, yeah. You, yeah. That's such, which is why I, I love when I can get early access. It's so much easier because you can just say <laughs> what the machine is. You can check, this is this is what it is and you'll still hey, get look, I'm going to unbox it. I'm going to tell you the specs and going to show you some sample images. Job done, a million views. Liter- right? Literally, like, <laughs> it's the difference between spending, you know, I could make that video in three to four hours and a video like this yeah. requires uh, you know 12 to 18 hours i mean you you can't make an interesting video that quickly unless you luck out like you find a, a bug or whatever but like it it has to take so much more time to make something interesting after the fact so i had just been watching everybody else's reviews and, and i felt burnt out by the keyboard so No, I don't think I really chose to leave it out. I just didn't have anything new to say. I'm like, we all know that it's been fixed. Let's move on. Yeah, I appreciated it because there was statistics from your review that I was blown away by. I think the most impressive um, to anything with the video stuff. Yeah, those were because it was nice that like with with the image processing things. All right, you're getting like thirty percent, twenty five percent. Um, differences but they're like 45 seconds or a minute but some of the video stuff it was like 20 minutes difference yeah can i (laughs) okay somebody corrected me and i said it was 400 percent faster you did which is not the same as four times faster no (laughs) which is what i meant to say and i think i even said it twice i'm like oh anyway anybody Wondering, yes, I do know that, and I can't fix it now. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, you just put like the, the annotations that exist on YouTube, just like big square text uh, box I, over your I face. Wish, yeah, or like mute that one word, and uh, uh-huh. know, I don't know what I could do. But yes, I know that is a foolish math mistake. Same as you know, twenty first century, all this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it really was. It was about four times faster in certain situations. Is, what was amazing is how it was, how variable it was, though. That some tasks that you think of as being heavy, it's hard to tell exactly what is leaning on the processor and what's leaning on the GPU. But sometimes I was surprised that oh, this didn't have a 
big difference. It was marginal. An example is that when I generated the really large HDR panorama, so that's you know 16-bit image and 62 megapixels, as I started doing things that can really slow it down, like if you just grab the heel brush and start dragging it all over the photo, it will always start to slow down. It's really hard for the computer to keep doing that for a long time. It imagines you're going to heal in little bursts. And both of them would sort of time out on that pretty quick. They couldn't handle very much of it. Mm. Um, And then meanwhile, stitching the HDR I, I mean, I forget what the numbers are right now, but they were. That was a huge difference. It was like, yeah, I think it was two minutes on the new computer and nine minutes on the other. Massive, massive gains. So it's starting to real. You're really starting to see how software was written, and that matters a lot. Uh, things like metal optimization go a really long way, and there's very there's none of it in Adobe at the moment. Which you know, I'm curious to see as Adobe starts releasing more and more iPad software. That has to be written to natively be built on metal, I think. I, I mean, I, I thought that when you mentioned it, that it seemed like that would be the case, right? That yeah. like, if they're moving the development stack to be cross-platform focusing, it seems like really iOS first and then building out from there, right? Like that's kind of what the iPad one is to, to move into there. You would surely be taking advantage of metal on ios and if you're doing that then eventually that will come back to the mac at some point as these somebody was talking about this was this atp or you guys that well yeah it must have i think must have been atp would it come backwards from ios like would the ios version of photoshop ever become the desktop version was a question recently asked which was interesting to think about i feel like they will eventually they will merge into each other because it would be wild for adobe to be making multiple versions of the software. That doesn't make sense. Otherwise, there was no point doing this. I'm a little worried about it with Lightroom. They've really started to hint at it, which freaks me out because they are saying that their cloud-based version really is the future. And that's that's a non-starter. That is not an option for any working photographer because you can't download 64 gig memory cards to the cloud and start working from them. It needs to be on a local hard drive. And they must understand that though, right? I know there's people in there that understand it, but they might also, I'm just, you know, putting words in their mouth. They might also understand that the hobbyist market is so much bigger that maybe they're willing to walk away from the pro market. That's what I'm worried about. Um, And Mm. just hand it over to, it really leaves Capture One. They're the others that do professional stuff that have been uh, really pushing hard lately. Capture One's been becoming amazing. I still haven't had time to try to, I, it's hard to commit to using another one in a working environment. Like I just, I just don't have time to try to move my catalogs over. But there is somebody else coming right up from behind, looking for Lightroom's market share, and I think it would really hurt Adobe. Just like it'd be the same situation as the last generation of MacBook Pros being trashed by high-end professionals. It makes the aspirational professionals think that it's not as good of a product, right? You want to if you're just regular businesswoman and you need to uh, have the top of the line computer because you can afford it, you're going to buy what the professionals you follow on Instagram are using. But then if you realize they're all abandoning Apple to go to a more powerful PC, that becomes a problem for Apple. Fortunately, I think Apple turned it all around. So they, they made the right fixes. Right now, Adobe is starting to face that same thing that a lot of professionals are really looking down on Lightroom. And even as a Lightroom user that 
you know, works, does this for a living. I feel that condescension sometimes where other pros are like, you're still on Lightroom. Like, okay, if you, if it's working for you, um, but it's, they're not, they're not paying attention to what professionals need and it's frustrating. Which is peculiar. I think is is more peculiar for Adobe than it was for Apple, even even because like yeah, it's what they are. It's what Adobe's all about. You've got about. to assume that it's, it's Adobe's thing. It's not Apple's thing. Yeah. Apple also make pro products, but their thing is making mass products. Yeah, and products, Adobe's mass market products. relying on people that are willing to spend fifty bucks a month, or I don't even remember how much I pay because because yeah. I'm always going to pay it. I need Creative Cloud. I don't even mm-hmm. look at the bill. Yep, but. A hobbyist does it is a, look at it that is bill. a cost of doing business yeah. for you. There is no way around it. Whatever Adobe charge, yeah. you have to pay. Yeah, right? There's like no that's as, that's as far as yeah, it goes. Exactly. But I know that hobbyists are inspecting that price very closely and thinking like, ah, is this worth it for me? Can I make this work? Do I care that much about photography? So I don't know. Interesting days. Uh, but it was great to see the really huge jumps with Final Cut and Resolve, which are both... Is that the thermal stuff that's making those differences? Because the chips aren't that much more yeah, powerful. Well, I think some of the chips are even the same as the last revision. So the one I'm comparing it to is a uh, one, yeah, one revision before that, right? I didn't have the latest one, right. which I prefer that benchmark. I know maybe some people are like, why aren't you comparing to the last one? Well, for one, I, this is the computer I have. I don't, I don't go buy all the computers I could possibly ever review. But I think it's a much more likely upgrade. I don't Even people that yes. want to get rid of their keyboards, I mean, I, I'm, I haven't had any trouble with my keyboard yet. But that does make me tempted to wait. Even though there's these amazing improvements, I can't buy a computer every six months. And there is part of me that's like, you know, there will be new processors coming. There is going to be a spec bump because they've been doing it so reliably. I don't know. I'm a little bit tempted to, to put it off for another, you know, four to six months and, and see what else might come through. What do you, I don't know. What do you think? How long do you think I'd be waiting if I do that? Honestly, I don't think this is based on nothing. I reckon we're probably looking at like June. I, mm. I, I would expect them to next revise this product to WWDC. That's what I think they would do. Because my expectation would be that it would include changes of some description to the smaller model. And if they make a Mm -hmm. meaningful change to that smaller model, they're probably best announcing that in front of the audience that cares the most. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. But it, it still it could make sense to me because as long as my computer really doesn't end up having any problems, which the, the, the worst thing would be if I wait three months and then my, <laughs> I have some crazy issues with it. Um, but you know, I have a pretty good working MacBook Pro at the moment. Whereas Jason, who's the other photographer that was in the video with me, uh, you know, we were talking while we were recording. I wish I actually had some of this in it, but he's like he's ready to upgrade today because he has one generation older of the MacBook Pro, right? And he's had a lot of these issues everybody else has had, and that's when anybody in his position, like, yes, this is it. You jump in with both feet. This is the computer to buy for sure. Yeah, I think so. I I, I think that. This seems like a no-brainer now. Yeah. Again, again, the MacBook Pro yeah. seems like a yeah. no-brainer. You recommend again, it to everybody. Uh, where it wasn't before. Yeah. And you're asking about if I, I think it's the thermals. Um, so there's a lot of things. I mean, I saw a lot of people doing more, you know, benchmarky benchmarks where they're just looking at, at numbers and watching throttles uh, with the apps that monitor that stuff. And you, we are seeing better performance 
with the exact same processor from last year, it still does do a better job. The GPU seems to be a huge leap. That is, it, I, so I, th- I think when I'm seeing those really big differences, I think that's when it's leaning hardest on the GPU. Um, that I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but it feels that way. Right. Cause I know that was a bigger generational step forward, uh, just based on what other people told me. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a good year. I think anybody should buy it. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about some new pro gear that you got. You got the new iPhone case, <laughs> the new battery case. Yeah. yeah, the battery case with the the button on it, which looks really cool. How do you how do you like it? I'm genuinely very surprised and confused as to why they have put a camera button on the battery. case. I did not see this coming. Like, I love that they've done it, but I don't know why they've done it. And it's an actual clickable button, which I also didn't expect. So, how does it work? When the phone is off, what happens if you just press the button? So at any point, whether the phone is off or you have the phone open or unlocked, you have to press and hold for like a second and the camera app will open. And then you can just click away and take exposures. That sounds pretty good. So the best experiences I've had with that type of interface is on Android phones where you can launch the camera app just from double tapping the button. And the best time for that is when we are skiing. Unlocking any phone with the screen is a huge pain. Even so, if it's Face ID, I have goggles on and I can't unlock mm. it. And whenever we're skiing, we are taking a lot of photos. Like if I, if anybody looks at Anya's Instagram, it's like a thing that we shoot often. So this is a common scenario for me. Well, because it's be- it's a beautiful time to take photos. Totally, and we're right. in Canada. What else are we going to do in Canada yep. in the winter? <laughs> there's, a, there's only so many options around here. Um, but yeah, being able to squeeze like anything that you can do through gloves, it's so much easier to launch a camera. So I've had times where I just also bring an Android phone with me so I can take photos on the hill with that quick double tap and just any situation that is also precarious. So near water, you don't have to flip the phone around and hold it in a slightly more vulnerable situation where, I mean, yeah, we swipe up all the time. It is, we're used to it at this point, but just hold your phone for a moment, try swiping up. You realize you've let go of a lot of your grip strength on it compared to if you're just holding it and you double tap a button, there's no risk of dropping it in that moment. You are holding onto that phone. And I've always really liked that on Android is is what I'm trying to say. So adding this button, I think it can be a bigger improvement than at first glance it even seems like it would be, being able to launch the camera without unlocking your phone. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I don't really have much to say about the the battery life part of it because I haven't done any aggressive testing. But, I, you know, it increases the battery life, which I was already really impressed with by 50% when when I have it on. So, like... Fantastic. 50%. But for me, I re- sure 50%, yes, <laughs> 50% improvement. So it's um, 500 times. <laughs> yes, it is 500 times the battery. Right. And you're, um, you're on the Max, right? You're on the big phone. Yes, this is very big. It's a very big, very heavy case. See, but the reason that true. I went with it is that like when I used the battery case before, and I had the, the battery case for the uh, 10s Max, I would only wear it when I was traveling. And when I'm traveling is when I'm taking the most photos that I would take. Mm-hmm. So it seems like a natural fit for me because now whenever I'm traveling, if I want to have this battery case with me to ensure that I have battery with me all the time because I'm using my phone more heavily then, 
I now also have a dedicated button to take photos, which is what I'm doing most of the time. Do you find that it sticks as you bring it in and out of your pocket? Like my concern is that with the silicone cases, sometimes they're a little, they're pretty, you know, adhesive to fabric and stuff. On a smaller phone, it doesn't matter. But as my phone becomes double thick, I'm afraid I won't be able to pull it out of my pocket. Well, I am a devout silicone case user have been always so like i've gotten pretty used to what it takes to get my hand my phone out of my pocket like i basically cover <laughs> whatever it takes well i like cover the phone with my hand and pull it out right mm-hmm. so like i i've gotten used to the method of because well, plus as well i have a pop socket on my regular case <laughs> right. so i mean that's so it's already gonna grab onto anything it can so Right, there's a move. You kind of have to cover the majority of the surface area of the case when taking it in and out of jeans pockets, yeah. right? Like that's, but I'm used to doing that. I'm now. really curious about it. I mean, I think I got to get one just to try it. Uh, I don't, I don't know if it'll stick. I think but, you're gonna love it yeah. for the shutter button, right? Like, yeah, Because yeah, yeah, plus yeah. as well, I mean, it is in the place that you would expect a shutter button to be, right? Especially for. Oh wait, okay. Right. What if I'm shooting video? Can I remap it to default to video? Can I? I mean, no, there are no options. Okay, so every time. But what if you change the setting that says, remember my last camera mode? Because there's a preference for that. And maybe it would apply to the case button as well. Because if I'm in a day where what I'm doing today is mostly shooting videos, it'd be nice to say, okay, for the rest of the day, let's launch the video camera instead of the photo camera. Well, let me see if I can find out the answer to that question <laughs> for you. We can we can discover this. Okay, live. so when I'm in the video mode yeah. and I press the shutter button, nothing happens. Oh, you can't even trigger the record? Nope. Oh, no. That's what you can do with this, if you press and hold, it will take one of those quick take videos. Okay. It's not the same. But that that's what it will do. <sighs> All right. Well, okay, we have we still have more photo to talk about though. I wanted to follow up since uh, I guess it was since I was on your show when I was on Connected, which mm-hmm. was after you are on this show. You've been like doubling down on your photography. I mean, you've really gone all out Instagram and mm-hmm. I've been loving it. It's been awesome. You're posting way more than I do, <laughs> which it's like great. You've just like become a photographer. Uh, well, what's that? that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a town. I, I want to know everything I can about it. Tell me what that experience has been like. I wanted your help, right? Because I love your Instagram stories and I, and I tried to get into posting more instagram stuff and it was a it just had really sure what to do and i would see all these posts and be like they don't look like the shots that i get from my phone like all the colors are different and like i don't understand how to do it and then you gave me a big crash course uh, effectively just uh, told me you know, in a nutshell download visco put a here filter. are some <laughs> of my favorite here are my yeah, favorite yeah. filters start from there and that's mm-hmm. what i've been doing and i guess over like the last year i've been doing more and more stuff with my with Instagram with with everything is just taken on my iPhone, edited in Visco on my iPhone, and uploaded to Instagram. That's that's what I'm doing. That's that's all I all I care about really is taking these pictures for Instagram. Like that's what I'm doing with them. Um, and over that time, I have not only like actually genuinely started to feel like it's become a hobby, like an actual hobby of mine now. Like I take extra time in certain places to take pictures right like we're going to go somewhere i'll be like oh i want to go this way because i want to get pictures of this or that um i feel like i have started to develop some skills right there like i can i feel like i can frame things interestingly and i've also worked out i'm getting a much better sense of I have an idea in my mind of what I want to do to this picture and I know how to achieve that with the tools in Visco. Right. Right. Where it's like, 
I the the sky here could be more blue. I know what I want to do to make that happen. And then over time, I've kind of like developed my own tastes as to what I want images to look like. And I've been I've been really happy with what I've been able to do with my very limited knowledge. And I'm 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 very pleased it's something that I put the effort into. I think it's really two it's the second part of photography that you have to start creating a mental model for is the more you edit your photos, the more you can visualize that edit while you're taking it and you kind of know mm-hmm. what's going to happen by the end. You're like, you know, if I make it 50% darker, I can kind of predict how that's going to come out. So I know that while I shoot it, it can, you know, all these little things being able to visualize the final product is, is really helpful. And I mean, I also, I also can see that you're paying more attention to composition and stuff too. Like, I, th- yes. I I don't know if it's just that you're slowing down or like, is there something that you're thinking about differently as you take the photos now? A lot of the times when uh, I am complimented for my composition by people like you or there are like other friends of mine that I know are very good at this stuff. Um, it's typically when I, when I, when I work back, it's because I saw something that I thought looked really interesting, just like in the world mm-hmm. and was like, Oh, like, so a lot, a lot of my kind of like, composition stuff is just it's all happening in my brain rather than in the camera i don't spend a ton of time um lining things up like and trying out a bunch of different things Mm -hmm. i I feel like i can see something and be like i think that those two elements look really interesting next to each other and then i kind of because i don't really know how to compose properly, right? Like, I, I have no idea. Do you take a lot of different photos of the same subject? Do you, if you see something you like, are you taking three or four? Or are you just snapping it? and yeah. Couple, I, one or two mostly. And it's usually with the different lenses. You know, like I might use the 1X lens or the 2X lens on the iPhone and then compare between the two of them. But I very rarely take like multiple images of something uh, that are compose differently you know like i might take a few images that are exposed differently yeah um because i'm not sure how it's gonna come out when i try and edit it right like to get the colors that i want but i i don't i don't spend lots of time trying to compose in the camera as it were well i've really enjoyed watching it because it's like uh i kind of feel like you're a success story of an average person that you know watches photography videos on youtube or yeah. listen to tutorials it's like you have a general interest but you've never put the time in and now that you're putting the time in there's very visible results from uh just having that extra attention put to it or, or you, you know just thinking about it, like carrying that little thought around with you throughout the day of what could look nice in a photo and then you see it and you take it and i i don't know i've liked yeah. it it's really great to watch and i very much enjoy that it's just something that i'm doing for fun that doesn't have any it doesn't it doesn't bear any meaning to anything else that i do really all right it's just like this is just like a thing that i enjoy doing and it's a nice little skill to have but that's kind of like where it starts and stops which is nice for me yeah i kind of miss <laughs> i miss shooting like that i used to be way more casual right well yeah this is the yeah. thing because this is this is part of just something i've been thinking about a lot in my life recently is like i have a bunch of jobbies right like there were hobbies that have become my work yeah and now i'm trying to find actual hobbies again and uh like iphone photography is one of those things like i have no desire to get a like a sony ar 3 
million. X four nine or whatever they're called. Percent. Mm-hmm. And four hundred percent. And they start taking pictures and then edit them in Lightroom or Mac. I have no desire to do that. I did just download Lightroom on my iPhone. Right. I don't know what that experience is like. I haven't tried it yet. Is it bad or good? It's a great oh, okay. app. It's very, very well done. Yeah. I'd, okay. It, and it might be kind of right for where y- for you. It, it felt like the next step mm-hmm. because I'm relying on the Visco filters less now. If you ever shoot raw photos, which you don't really, you don't have to, but just if you ever experiment with that, Lightroom's the place to play with it. Cool. It does the best job of dealing with raw photos from an iPhone. I mean, it won't give you that instant satisfaction of visco like the the presets in there don't look as fun and you'll have to download should use the presets i mean so uh, third party. yeah you can, i mean so like you can use any presets in lightroom you can move them over so like i have presets and like you could use my presets on the mobile app um but you have to there it, it's not so intuitive like you can't just download it through an app store or something you have to down like buy them on the computer download them move them over, do some, you know, it's a couple steps. It's not, it's not hard, but it's not instant. Sure. Whereas, you know, this goes really all about like, if you press one button, you are transported to a whole other color landscape. And uh, <laughs> whereas, yep. you know, Lightroom, it going to the next level is also about subtlety, that it means you can be more precise and you can be a little more exact when you're like, oh, I just, I can't quite get the highlights where I want them. Lightroom will let you dial them in a lot more than Visco will, so... Right. It's, it's pretty great for that. I wanted to touch on my backup situation a little bit. And uh, there'll, there'll be future videos coming out that I was recording yesterday that I will also disclaim right off the bat is going to be a, a sponsored video by Synology. I, I'm working with them, but I love Synology. And so I just want to talk about it anyway. I um, have had a four bay Synology for quite a few years. And I just want to let everyone out there know, and there's actually really interesting overlap in my life and podcasts I listen to. Uh, Merlin Man was talking about it on Back to Work uh, because Dan Benjamin bought a small Synology. And this is like, this is the mistake I made. If you're going to buy a RAID, get the biggest one, even if it's mostly empty. So I bought a four bay and I filled it with four terabyte high drives and it's been full for most of the time that I've owned it. Like I filled it up within the first year I had it. And now you can go out and buy a 10 terabyte drive on its own for a few hundred bucks that, uh, you know, it's the same size as this four bay drive that I can't really upgrade without taking out old drives. And to justify upgrading it, I would have to get something really big, like a 12 to 14 terabyte. And then I'm, you know, not gaining as much storage as I'd like. Anyway, buy way bigger than you need and gradually yeah, fill this, it up. Yeah, this doesn't feel like the type of thing that you should be doing on a budget. Yeah, it's, you kind of just have to push it. And if the, the way you should spend that budget too, though, is like if you are thinking about, say, buying – okay, if you buy a two-bay NAS, you're probably doing it to, say, run like a Plex server, um, you know, doing something relatively simple with media streaming or so you can like access your photos remotely. And if you don't have a lot of storage, that could that could be fine. Like mostly you just want to have network access. That's sort of a different thing. If you're doing it to have any amount of space, though, spend the money on – get a, a giant one, six, six or eight bays, because uh, the price doesn't go that far up for the actual device. The difference between a four bay and an eight bay Synology is only a, a couple hundred dollars. Most of the money ends up going into hard drives. Mm-hmm. And every year you can just go out and buy one more drive, pop it in, and now you've got you know 10 to 14 more terabytes. And 
that's absolutely the way to do it. Just buy less drives at the beginning, gradually add them year over year, and it can last you for a, a decade or more. Um, so now I've got the 8-bay one. Let me just – the DS1819 Plus, and mm. I've – Almost Sony-like. <laughs> oh, man, even worse. I mean the Plus, really? It's, some of them aren't even Plus. Like you have to know if you have the Plus or not. <laughs> and it's completely full, so it's got 14 terabyte drives. And I've done a SR2 type RAID scenario, which is the Synology hybrid RAID, meaning it's sort of proprietary. If I want to unlock everything from it, I need to put the drives into another Synology. It's not the like kind of open source RAID format. But I'm okay with that because it adds it adds quite a bit more storage and also has the full redundancy. So I made it two disk redundant. The big reason to do this, once you have a lot of drives in there, it's you know, there's eight of them. So if one of them fails, fine. You can pop a new drive in, starts rebuilding. But while it's rebuilding, it's reading and writing a whole lot to all those disks. And that's your highest likelihood of failure is when it's really active. It's like chewing through all the data on every single disk. And now one more drive fails and you would lose everything. So having two potential failures becomes really important as there's more and more drives in it and uh, so that you can do that rebuild safely. So that's what I did. I actually forget how much storage that left me with. It's, um, I guess I'll have to report back on that because uh, the, the math gets weird. It's not exactly like you lose one drive per redundant drive, which is nice. You lose something like 40 or 50% of it. I haven't fully set it up yet. And I assume you're using spinning disks, Yes, right? yeah. So these are all the Seagate, Iron Wolf, uh, like NAS drives. Black yeah. edition. <laughs> well, yeah, they are. They're the like super hardcore, don't fail. Because uh, mm-hmm. I guess there's special requirements for a RAID. I don't, I don't really know why. But um, anyway, I will, I will be talking about it more in the future. I just wanted to sort of introduce that it's happened. And I've been, I also have all like the massive pile of my old hard drives right in front of me. So there's, mm-hmm. it's it's a bigger pile than this <laughs> Synology. It, it takes up more space and it's not as much storage. So I'm really excited to start moving over to it. I don't have anything like this. I mean, I have like time machine running on my But you don't, you don't need it, right? I mean, do you keep your raw audio from podcasts? I, no, I don't keep yeah. it. There's like one or two shows where I do keep it just out of the sake that I always have been. But kind of my shows that are like weekly news-based shows, I never need the audio again. Like I keep them for like a month yeah. and then I just have a Hazel script that just trashes sure. them. Yeah, what are you going to do? with? I mean, really, what are you going to do that you couldn't do with the MP3 anyway? <laughs> There's not, there's, there really isn't anything. Yeah. Um, so I guess in, unless you get back into YouTube anytime soon, which, uh, you know, I'm still, That's not happening. I'm still watching my subscribe feed. <laughs> <laughs> Any day now. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not happening. Video's just not, it's not for me. Video's just not for, it's, it's just, it, it's. It's a lot of work. God, it's so much work. It's a lot it's of work. so much I work. feel that sometimes too. Yesterday, I mean, I was just shooting B-roll all day and there was two of us working on it and it was. I mean, we put like 14 hours into it. And then I kind of looking at the footage, I'm like, this is just, this isn't even anything yet. We spent a really, really yeah. long day and I just have a bunch of random clips of tech products and it's not even, there's no substance to it. I still need to spend at least another full day or two to structure it into anything. It's, ugh. I think like one of my biggest problems of YouTube and of video making in general is not only is it more work, it is also a lot less predictable right for your audience size 
Yeah. Right? Like you're making a thing and you have really no idea how many people are going to see it even within the amount that you would expect. I feel like podcast listening is much more regular than uh, video watching is. Um, I guess the, the last thing is some really late uh, follow-up on something I just never talked about when it happened. And I came across the video file that I created when it did happen. Uh, so I, I just wanted to mention it. The um, When the iPhone 11 was announced, as there always are, there was a series of ads produced for it. And you may have seen them on TV or at a movie theater or on YouTube or all over the place. And in the iPhone 11, not the Pro, the regular 11 ad, there is a moment where a finger is flicking through screens of apps. They are inside of the podcast app. And for a moment, they scrolled by this podcast. (laughs) Um, And it's funny because so mine was on the side. It wasn't fully visible. My name doesn't show up in it. Uh, Sarah Dietschy's was like the centerpiece. Uh, so, you know, awesome, awesome for Sarah. And also, this is all so fast. Like, this does not actually have any impact on listenership for anyone. It's totally just a exciting moment, which, I mean, I think you can relate to. You had a like 10 times more exciting moment when you had connected on stage. Like, there was no missing yeah. that. Everybody, it was on there for like two minutes. That was an amazing moment for you. Yeah, we were when the Apple Watch on WatchOS 4 got podcast support yeah uh our show connected was the um when they when they were demoing and showing off all of the slides and all of the promo shots they were using our show yeah for that Incredible. my favorite part so was then all of the because then a picture of of tim on stage with the watch stuff behind him <laughs> was yeah. a getty image so then our artwork was showing up in newspapers oh, and on cool. the news all over the world. That, that, was, that, that was like a really fun so – I actually have that Getty image on my wall. That's I, awesome. I, I made a fracture of it. Yeah, I love I that. bought the image and then made a fracture of it. I probably have broken the Getty image license, but I at least <laughs> bought the image. Uh, no, that's fine. It's like you paid them. I, I did I pay them. them. Yeah. I didn't just take it from a newspaper. Like I, I signed up and I gave them the many hundreds of dollars that was needed, and now I have it on the wall. No, but it, that's so awesome! Like such a cool. It's moment. quite a moment. Yeah, it's right? really fun. It's like if you want to listen to podcasts on your watch, this is the one you should be listening to right here. Yeah, I, I think I think it was really cool because it's not the you know we don't have the biggest podcast. Like there's the mainstream podcasts are the numbers are insane right like this american lifestyle things yeah Yeah. and they could have chosen something like that and it's great that apple's like you know what let's look for something that speaks to the audience that is interested in this keynote right now i think that was definitely the case because our um artwork was not used on the apple.com marketing pages for those features it was just used it was used in two places it was used on stage and then for reasons i don't know all of the um tutorials for that feature Mm -hmm on Apple support documentation also used our artwork. But in the marketing promotion pages, they were using like uh, some shows from Gimlet, they were using Serial, that kind of stuff. Right. You know? yeah. so, so they definitely chose a show that I think appealed to the audience. But also I think I think our artwork, because it, it features a six color rainbow, uh, I think it, it, it spoke to them with what they would want to. Plus the, uh, it was like the Apple Watch software that year they, there was like, there were two words that they were using, and one of them was the word <laughs> connected. Yeah, yeah. 
they know what they're doing. And so it kind of yeah, it fit perfectly. They're smart people over there. But I mean, to be in a in a, in a even a second, a split second in an iPhone ad, that's that's like that's pretty crazy. You just got to hope for some subliminal stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that that's what you're hoping for. That had an effect. That little bit of uh, blue and brown that you can tell is the podcast start. I'm sure everybody <laughs> is now searching feverishly to try to find what was that blue yeah. like searching every a little bit of blur i caught you in the library yeah exactly oh, I should, sorry the apple podcast oh, library. so what i really want to know is how they how they arrived at that little set of shows because it's also a few of us like know each other as well you know uh Sardici's was there and vector uh from renee ritchie and so like what were they scrolling i assume through? that there is there is a collection yeah. so that i i expect that they were scrolling through a collection of shows that exist in the Apple Podcast directory because those collections are all, is my understanding, manually chosen. So if they just wanted to make sure that they could get things that weren't ever going to be a problem, right, for like hate speech, just scroll through one of the already existing collections of shows that exist on the Apple Mm -hmm. Podcast directory. That would be my expectation for how they do that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was a super fun moment. The only thing that really shows it is the little graphic I made where you can like see it get extracted, but I don't know. Doesn't Yeah, that was really hilarious. It, yeah, it was like <laughs> detective work. I imagine you going frame by frame. That's absolutely what happened. Because what happened <laughs> was that somebody else mentioned Sarah, and I was like, oh, Sarah's was there. Maybe. Then I like dug around for it. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, it's one for the one for the scrapbook. And um, Yep. Oh yeah. It's just one of those little, like, you know, when you imagine yourself as a younger individual watching keynotes, right? Like, and getting up for them or staying up late for them or whatever it is you're doing. And you think to yourself, oh, imagine one day yeah. if I could play a part in one of these, you know? So it's it's one of those bucket list type deals. I have a, a, something that's been in my mind for quite a while, but I, I want to start making it a message I spread is for as you meet success in your life, as things go well and you check off things on your bucket list or meet the big accomplishments that you never thought you could, I just want to let everybody know that maybe hasn't started checking them off. When it happens, you need to enjoy them. Enjoying them is entirely up to you. Like feeling all the pleasure from it won't come externally and you won't feel wow. automatically satisfied. Um, cause after any of these things happen, I love it that is, phrase. It is I have so easy. What will time. happen? I think to pretty much any human yeah. is you will move on from it. And if yep. you're the type of person to, to meet those goals, you'll probably already have new goals. And that feeling of satisfaction is very fleeting. It, you, it is, it is so hard to appreciate it. That's why I didn't even talk about this on the podcast before. I completely forgot. Like I spent, you know, an hour being like, excited, excited. That's cool. Okay, uh, what do I need to finish for tomorrow? Like what's the next deadline? What do I need? You know, I just moved on right away. And nobody else is going to pat you on, a, on the back in a way that re- nobody else can be as excited about it as you are. Nobody else can realize why it matters to you in the same way. Um, it really just like you have to, find it in yourself to soak in that uh, appreciation of the moment because you know life keeps moving and it, and it can be really hard to remember to appreciate it so um i don't mm-hmm. know just a, a little message out there for anybody with a bright future ahead of them i think that is a wonderful little soundbite right like enjoying these moments is completely up to you like that is a very nice way of putting it and it's also the uh 
harsh words required as well at the same yeah, time, right? Like you have to do this because no one's going to do it for you. And that kind of applies to all of this type of stuff anyway. A micro version of it is traveling. Um, if you go somewhere really, really cool and it blew your mind and you were, you were just so in the moment you loved it, when you come home and tell all your friends about it, they don't care the way that you care. It's like telling them about your dreams. They weren't there. They didn't experience it. Like they're happy for you. I mean, if you got people that love you, they're like, that's really, you know, they will, they'll be glad that you had a good experience. But if you talk about it too much, they'll also kind of be like, okay, I get it. You had fun. I wasn't there. But done now. Yeah, exactly. So same thing. It's like, you can't go on forever about how great they are. Like it is up to you to enjoy that trip (laughs) while you're on it too. But uh, I think that's a relatively high note to end it on. And uh, thanks for yeah. thanks for spending this time with me, Mike. Absolute pleasure. 